This is the ADHD Fix: How to Achieve Your Potential, the podcast to help you use 15 proven strategies to discover the many gifts of ADHD. I'm Henry J. Svek, and for over 30 years, I helped others diagnose and treat ADHD. Now retired, I turn my attention back to those 15 strategies I use to help achieve my potential with ADHD. Learning what I did to help myself will help you achieve your success. ADHD is a gift. Let's get started. Simran Diol. Yes. Good to see you today. Now you are a busy person. I see here you're at Harvard. Like that's pretty scary. Like when I saw that, <laughs> I, I better up my game because the language <laughs> and all that stuff. But I, what I want you to do, what we try to do on the podcast is just help people. As you know, we just started this, mm -hmm. is to get people to sort of understand. See, I believe, and I'll do you quick. You probably know that when you harness it all, it's a gift. It's really tough at first. It's really horrible at first sometimes. But once yeah. we get through that, and once we get over the other edge, we're at an advantage to our peers because of what we can do. So why don't you start and take me? I know you were diagnosed. You said on your your bio there at 19, I believe it was. Yes. Start from the beginning and take me to Harvard. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was diagnosed um, around. I think it's going to be a little over two. It might even. I think I might be hitting the third year now of uh, from my diagnosis. Um, I was. In my undergraduate degree, and I was failing out of school. I was about to be kicked out. I had a 1.7 grade point average. <laughs> which, What school uh, was this? Where were you at? So I was in back in Canada at the time, where I'm from in Vancouver, going to Capilano University. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, I was failing pretty miserably. Uh, at one point, I think one of my classes, I had a 30%. Like. It was like I was failing below failure. Like it was bad, um, you know. And that wasn't, you know, new to me. I had been a failing student my whole life. I'd always struggled in school, um, but it just obviously kept getting worse and worse as time went on. Because, Did you have course, the books? Sorry to interrupt. Had you had the books? Like, were you trying, or were you just having too much fun? I was definitely trying. Oh. I was trying. Yeah, it was. I've always, and I think in some ways, at that time, it made it very devastating and very difficult because I felt that I was trying like three times as hard as my peers to try and do the same thing as them. And yet I, I felt like I was never able to do what they were doing, even though I was putting in more effort in terms of like the time it would take me to study and staying up all hours and things like that. Um, so, I mean, I'd always been struggling at school, but I think the point where I realized there's something going on here and I need to figure this out or I, don't know what I'm going to do with my life is, um, I think it was in near the end of second year or third year. Sometimes the timing gets mixed up, but it was around then. And I was on academic warning from the university and I had a 1.7 grade point average. And, and they basically had said, if you don't get your grades up in the next semester, like you got to go. And um, I just was like, I didn't want to get out of bed. Like I was having a really tough time mentally because Prior to that, I had been trying so hard that when that notice hit me, I was so exhausted from trying for all these years. And I was like, well, when is it going to be enough for me to be able to just succeed? Because, you know, is this always how it's going to be? Like, I can't do this forever. Like, I, I wouldn't like maybe I should drop out of school. Like I was kind of at a crossroads. And at 
that point, I uh, kind of stopped trying for like a month or two. Like I just kind of gave up. I was really going to class, uh, was sleeping a lot. It was just not good. And and a month after that point, I got into a car accident. Oh. And after that, it it's kind of funny thinking back now because I had to go see the accessibility services office yeah. um, because I had a concussion. And so I had to take about two, three months off of school because of my car accident for a severe concussion. And they wanted me to make an appointment with accessibility services to talk about like that, that time off. But the advisor was a, a psychologist and he just was so conversational. We just started talking about, you know, I just started joking about how, oh, like, you know, another thing that is going to make me have a harder time in school. And he was like, oh, what do you mean? Like, are you struggling in school? And I kind of told him everything. And he was like, I think you have like dyslexia and ADHD. And I was like, really? And I kind of had an inkling um, a couple months earlier that I might have ADHD because I was learning about it in my one of my hey, psych okay, classes. Okay, hang on. I got to ask you this. Well, so yes. how did you sneak through elementary and high school? Oh, my gosh. It was. Because <laughs> we have parents listening and, you know, young people listening. Yes. Like, how did you, like, you got to university, so obviously you got I through did. that whole crazy mess. Yes. But what was, what was public and high school like? It was awful. It was, it was, it was, it was actually the, the psychologist I'm talking about. He was like, he said to me, he's like, I mean this as a compliment. How did you get through high school yeah. and like this? Because I, I honestly, the honest answer is I think in the end, like my perseverance and like hard work kind of, helped me get through even though I was struggling a lot like I never I always studied I always went to talk to my teachers I always tried really hard so you're a grinder though, you're a grinder oh absolutely yeah what did your I, parents I, say when you're going through school struggling they say you got to work harder you're not working hard enough or what they are very supportive they've always been supportive I even like for them what I really appreciate is like for other I had friends who had such high pressure on them all the time you know if they got a b they're in trouble <laughs> if i got a c plus my parents would like get me pizza and like take me out for dinner and they'd be like oh my it. god you know because they know how hard they, you were that, how hard it was for me to get the c it wasn't about i didn't get an a it was like look how hard she tried like you deserved to be so, so let me ask you, you something because this is something i think about a lot yeah. So right now we sit here and we go, oh, that's that's painful and it was it was hard, but yeah, that was the struggle and the sacrifice that got you to Harvard and now to be expensive. So in other words, you had to. All, I hate to say the word suffer, but you suffered yeah. to be great today, which is hard for parents and yourself <laughs> yeah. too. Like, how did you get mental health? Like, how did you get through all that? Because it's tough. Oh, definitely. Um, mental health was a huge struggle for me growing up and it took years of like support from my parents and therapy and just working on myself to kind of get to where I am today where I feel very confident in my ability to kind of overcome any you know because life I mean I'm sure there's going to be a point again where I might struggle in something and so but now I feel equipped to deal with that versus in high school especially um, it was very difficult because I, I didn't see any light at the end at that time. So it, it was a really tough time. For me. So the coolest thing, even though it's painful, that experience has set you already ahead of 90, probably 8% of your peers who didn't have to struggle. 
who could dog it all yeah. day, do whatever, <laughs> never have to go over, you know, never feel the pain of almost like sports. You you know, very few people win every game. No one does that they play. Yeah. And so you'd get up every day to go to school and this might be a bad day and you're going to lose today if there's a word for that. So then take me back to being 19, the concussion, the great psychologist yeah. who helps yeah. you. Then what happens? So he, so I had kind of a feeling that I might have ADHD, but then he kind of confirmed like as a school psychologist and he's like, well, and I think you have this. And he's like, I think you should get tested. And so I went home, talked to my parents. They were fully supportive. And I was like, okay, like, let's do it. I, I honestly felt that that would solve all my problems. Like knowing if that was the case, cause I feel like that it would just make my whole life make sense if that was the case. And I got tested a few months later turns out it was the case and I have I mean it, it's really I laugh about this because I don't know why I just find it kind of funny but it like if you read my actual assessment like I have a severe learning disability in uh reading writing and math which is like part of that is dyslexia the reading part and and ADHD that's pretty much school <laughs> exactly and it's and so funny <laughs> I that I think that's why I laugh sometimes because it's severe like to the point where like people yeah. are like how did you learn to read? Like it, it's that my scores were that low. Uh -huh. So it's definitely something I laugh about now just because. So how did you get through it? Once you got assessed, then what happened? Mm -hmm. Oh, my whole life changed after that. I, first of all, mentally, I was immediately doing better because everything that had happened to me made sense. And I, I felt less, I guess, ashamed of the way that I was functioning and handling life because I didn't know and I was also able to get accommodations and support extra time on tests. I got a reading software, um, which changed my life. And so I actually started getting good grades. Like I, I immediately started getting A's and B's from D from like D's and F's. Like it was crazy. That's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, you're a bright person, I guess. How do you go back? One thing I look back because I was diagnosed in my late thirties, early forties, late thirties, mm -hmm. you get angry sometimes that no one picked it up earlier to say, even though the pain is sort of, I guess, a lesson for us all, but you kind of say, man, couldn't you? Cause a lot of people don't get through it. Like we did, right. They, they struggle yeah. and they stop. Do you mm -hmm. ever get angry about why didn't my grade two teacher figure out I wasn't reading or my grade four teacher, like my, how about my grade five teacher? Like mm -hmm. what were they doing? I did feel that anger in the beginning. I'm not going to lie. I was very sort of, angry because I was looking for somebody to blame because I I was like well isn't that you know the job of, of, of people in the school system like if I was like I remember some of the comments and conversations that my teachers would have with myself and my parents and so many of the things that they used to say were so evidently pointing towards some sort of learning disability and so I was like okay I know they're not psychologists but I've seen other kids get pointed towards, hey, I think you should get tested. So why wasn't I, like, why did no one pick up on that? And I think ultimately, if we look into the actual, like, research that's been done on um, diagnosis, especially in women, sometimes uh, the certain behaviors and symptoms and things show up differently. And sometimes a lot of women say that they've been kind of looked past because it the awareness and education currently around things like this are very, I think, stereotypical in what we see in the media. And so a lot of people may not consider all of these other factors 
And so a lot of people like myself get looked past and, and it gets blamed on the person and not well, that there might bias. be something else going there's on. There's bias because yeah. you're a woman. The second one is, and that's an important one. The second one is you're really too smart. So you can slide your way around things and just barely get through. So you're not yeah. <laughs> like totally failing. And the third one that no one really wants to accept, but is the truth is teachers do not have the training. Absolutely. I, I taught at teachers college as a professor, just, just to prove it. Cause mm -hmm. they wouldn't let me into school. Right. I went to Michigan state. I couldn't get into anywhere cause I didn't have great grades. So yeah. when I graduated Michigan state, I thought I'll get ultimate revenge and I'll go lecture at the place that told me <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to get in. Yeah. And the first thing I learned is that all classes, whether you're teaching teachers about LD, ADHD, giftedness, are options. So you could graduate as a teacher and not have a clue about anything and then take a weekend seminar or some certification and suddenly you're an expert and you don't know anything. And so I'm not yeah. making excuses for them, but we all assume the same, right? Yeah. Like we assume like. For example, you probably didn't get even, did they try phonics with you? No. So so there's different reading strategies that we used to use back in the day in grade one and two. So if you were struggling in grade one, they would have had you go to a reading, remedial reading teacher who was an expert at teaching children how to read. Right. We got rid of all, they got rid of all those people because they went into mainstreaming and having the resource in the class with you when you're with the other kids. Mm -hmm. So if you have ADD, LD, and a reading disability, and someone's sitting over you while there's 28 other kids learning, trying to teach you how to do phonics, it's never going to happen. So yeah, it, it was a total, but but let's go, that's, that's tough, that's horrible. But now you're in school, you're killing it. How do you get from that program to Harvard? That's a good question. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's it for me. That's it for my whole offer right there. Um, <laughs> I think... It was definitely, I mean, so yes, I started getting better grades and just doing better after my diagnosis, but it didn't like it. I would say it definitely put me in a position to do well, but I still had to do so much work to do well um, because I personally felt like I had to relearn how to learn. I felt like I, I was like, wait, I can kind of read like I, I could read. It's not that I couldn't read. I just could not process properly which was pretty much the root of almost any educational issues I was having and so uh, when I got my software and I also like kind of learned some strategies I was like oh my god I'm understanding things better even though I still have trouble reading and it still takes me hours and hours but like it's still better than what it was before and so I think what I had to do is just kind of work very strategically to kind of look at okay like sure there's deficits but I don't want to look at it like that like what are the things that are actually assets that put me in a position that makes me like a marketable very attractive candidate for schools and for jobs um, instead of just being like well I can't really do math and I have trouble reading so no one's going to want me because you know of all these things because at the end of the day like I know even at Harvard and no matter where I go I want to do a PhD one day like I'm never, I don't think I'll ever be the person in the room that'll have the, you know, the highest GPA or be the top graduating my class. But I do know that it's very hard to outwork me because I will do anything to make sure that I can prove that I will put in the work in the hours. I won't complain. Like I will stay up all night. I will do as many volunteering jobs as it takes to learn something 
for the real job. I won't be like, oh, I don't want to like, you no know. No one's going to outwork you. You just got to yeah. tell yourself, no one's going to work. The, the thing is, I want to ask you too, how many times did you get the right answer and not know how you got it? Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. Assessing ADHD requires more than a five-minute office visit. The experienced, multidisciplinary team at OSR Clinics will walk with you and your family through the comprehensive assessment and diagnosis process and will be by your side when it comes to implementation of strategies and advocacy for your child. Visit osrclinics.com to book your free info session today. That's osrclinics.com. In terms of anything. in school or anything, anything. Could um, be math, could be in school where you got doc marks because you didn't show all your work and you're going, look, I got the answer. Literally all the time. I know, isn't it crazy? All the time. And then they say, well, because like math, <laughs> see, the problem with math is I used to teach uh, some gifted math stuff. You have to sit with a student and find out how they process it because everybody processes math differently. Yes. And if I tell you, you must do it this way, I'm going to mess you up because your brain's going in a different way to answer exactly. that Exactly. Yeah. But people don't take the time, right? Because you got to do a group class. But if you sit one-on-one -on -one with a person everybody will get math and love it, but you got to appreciate and listen to how their brain's working. And then exactly. the problem is when you don't feel that, then you get self-confident negative on math because math's big for banking and business and all yes. the things you have to do. <laughs> yes. So, so you got through that point and then you get, the, what are you studying at Harvard? Uh, I'm getting a master's in human development and education. And what are you doing next? What's your PhD going to be in psych? Um, so I'm be thinking, a good clinician. I'm just throwing a little, you know, a little rope out Thank there. you. I, <laughs> yeah. So I definitely, I have some areas in mind. Um, definitely psych um, is one of the areas. I don't know if that's going to be like organizational behavior or another like human development or, you know, um, thing like that. But definitely in the crossroads of like business and psychology and human behavior somewhere. See, if I was, if I was, I have a 30 year career as a psychologist. So if we're, if mm -hmm. I was interviewing you for an internship, or uh, you know, a three-month trial work, I would hire you because of what you told me about your experiences. Like Thank I, you. I know because I know what you're gonna do, and I know that you know that when we start a job, we just begin learning. You're not gonna come in with an attitude and say, Oh, I know everything about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna and you're probably gonna outwork everybody. And 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 so I think you need to understand that. Now, let me ask you this though. Do you feel like it's a gift yet, or is it still a handicap? I don't want to use the word I, handicap. What, 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 yeah. were, I don't know. What I, no, I get, I get what you're saying. I would say I think it's a gift. When did you start turning that corner? Because I have a discussion with a lot of people who say it's never a gift. That by saying yeah. that, I'm so, somehow hurting people with ADD. And I think that just means we haven't helped people enough to get to the gift side. I agree. I, I think I started thinking that immediately because it was sort of like I got the key to this secret box that I was like, what's inside? What's going on? And I, and I felt like what was holding me back my whole life was not knowing. And, and, and honestly, like if I've thought about this a lot, I feel that the only reason that these, you know, so-called like learning disabilities are looked at or any sort of neurodiversity is looked 
that as a deficit is, is because of the way society handles, treats and, uh, you know, adapts to or lack of adapting actually to these people. It's if we think about like if there was another world where the majority of people were neurodiverse and the minority of people were neurotypical, <laughs> right? Like then they would feel that way. I, I truly don't believe that would do the boring jobs though <laughs> yeah I, I yeah like i i truly believe that it's because of society's lack of their ability to actually integrate and see that there's other types of intelligences and there's more than one way to do something and if somebody needs this extra support to learn this that doesn't mean that they're less than and that doesn't mean that it's unfair right like that's why i feel like people don't see it as a gift i don't think it's the actual abilities because i think every person has the potential the same as everybody else do you think it doesn't become a gift until we get our self-esteems up high enough to let it be absolutely like those childhood experiences those high school experiences i can remember yeah. it took a long time for me personally yeah. to have enough confidence to feel like okay i can do this stuff i have a great wife and mary she's an amazing partner she's always mm -hmm. encouraged me and it's so crazily great but without that you don't get that constant. I mean, you had great parents, right? Your parents yes. sound like they were supportive. And yes, and, but, but I think you have to have some success. Like was getting into Harvard, like the Super Bowl for you in football. Like how did that feel when you got that letter? Uh, that was probably the best moment <laughs> in my whole life. Yeah. Because I, I've always wanted to learn and be educated and pursue knowledge but before my diagnosis, I didn't know if it was possible the way that my life was going. And that was really hard for me to come to terms with. Um, and so even after my diagnosis, when I was applying to grad school, I was very stressed out because I was like, well, my first two years, I was failing. My second two years, I'm not. Are they going to understand what happened and look past the first two years to say, okay, look what she overcame? Or are they going to be like too bad? And funny enough, Actually, I applied to nine programs. I got rejected from every single program except for Harvard, which I think is really <laughs> ironic and funny, actually. So it was definitely like a surreal feeling to be accepted, not only like just in general to a grad school program, but then for it to be Harvard was kind it of It sounds like a club. I got rejected from every Canadian university because my <laughs> grades were too low and I got accepted into every American <laughs> university because I was writing papers, publishing, and they kind of interviewed me and knew I, I had a bit going on. But the Canadian yeah. schools took one look at my mark and they said, your marks are too low. We won't yep. even interview you. Yep. And, and so I, I think it's that sort of, isn't that weird though, eh? Mm -hmm. So how many rejection letters did you get before you got Harvard? Um, I think I got at least a few. So there was a lot of crying and a lot of sure. sadness. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. after my acceptance, I was like, oh, my gosh, like it was like a, I can like relax because it was, you know, it was just stressful reaching out to advisors and having them tell me like they don't think that I'd be able to make it through and like that it might not be a good idea for me to pursue like graduate studies or there was one program that was like you know when I asked them why they didn't want to accept me especially because I this was my field I, I had so many job experiences in this field I had been doing research for a lab for this university I was friends with the director like it was I was like what like you know like can I have a reason like especially because I wrote them a letter explaining that this is what happened but if you look at the jump from first two years to last two years and you consider the last 90 credits which most schools do anyways I was like it should be okay 
And they basically put in very, um, as nice as they could put it, that this is a pipeline to a PhD program. And they don't think that I would be, uh, yeah. I don't remember what word You're they not use, material. But You're not good enough for, for a PhD, basically. Yeah. And I so, always say to myself, yeah. remember, don't ever give them credit like the rejection motivated you. No, the rejection just <laughs> proved to you that they're idiots and you knew what you were doing. So I don't even give them the credit these people are saying. Oh, you know, it was a big rejection that motivated me to no, you had nothing to do with it because I just wiped you out of my brain. As soon as you <laughs> said no, you you meant nothing to me. Um yeah. I just want to ask you to help the listeners on on strategies. Mm-hmm. Um what did you have a box of strategies? Plus, did you did you get some help with the doctor? What was your strategy once you got diagnosed to, to take so- this on? What I did was, first of all, I had a meeting with the school advisor and basically we went over, according to my diagnosis and what um, things I struggle with, what accommodations would be helpful. So I have like extra with my IEP, like extra time for assignments, extra time for exams. Um, If I need like a quiet area to do work or do an exam, like they can monitor me in like one of those study rooms. Um, Just... Yeah, those are like the main things which are super helpful. And so having the the supports, like talking to somebody, because every university has that. Like, I don't think there's any university that exists. And even high school, like they can't deny you uh, if you have that paperwork. Unfortunately, for the people who maybe don't, if they're not diagnosed, but they think that's a little more tricky, which is an issue. But if you have the diagnosis, you should be able to get the support. And then after that, I basically kind of sat down with myself and and said, okay, like, aside from getting my grades up, how, like, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? And how am I going to get there? And I think you have to just honestly take the skills that you know are so valuable that you possess. Don't look at the deficits and take those, write them down and think about how you can make those marketable to wherever, whether you're trying to go to universities or if you're looking for jobs, um, because, I honestly think that if you can, I think you can convince almost anybody that you could potentially be the right fit for something if you can push those skills with that person and connect it to what they need. Um, And sometimes bring in a diverse perspective on like, look, this is what I have that's a niche skill. And this is why I think um, this would be super beneficial for your company or for your program at school. So I think like really what I did ultimately was take a really deep look at myself and really like map it out. And I mean, like I really wrote things down and then I started looking at what work experiences uh, can I do? And a lot of them were just volunteering, but I was willing to put in that time to learn these skills to then be even more marketable to these people that I'm trying to work with. Let me ask you a couple more questions before time runs out. Um, Mm -hmm. What is abstract genius? So the Abstract Genius <laughs> is an organization that I started, started right after. Yeah. Yes, I started it like immediately after my diagnosis. And it is still in very much like the workshop phase. I haven't done much with it, but the ideas are there. And I'm working at like even at Harvard, there's a lot of really cool resources for us to like start our own um, organizations. And so um, my goal is to, in the next few years, have it running and basically be kind of a hub for um neurodiverse individuals to have a community and also supports and hopefully some programs one day and things like that. Yeah. Do you exercise every day for your brain? Do I exercise for my brain every day? 
like actual exercise or mental <laughs> exercise? Because <laughs> no, no, actual exercise is no. I'm talking about cardio. <laughs> I would love to say yes. The answer is I do not. Okay, you know about the benefits for ADD. I LD. do. All right, all right. I won't harp on that. Uh, let's end with this. I ask everybody this question. From the time you get up till the time you hit the hay, what's a typical day for you? What time do you get up? What are your, what's your diet like? Like So people can learn. Because you're successful. Yes. Like, you're at Harvard. There's a university, or there's a college, university, high school, elementary school, child listening right now thinking, man, if she can do it, I can do it. So what what's yeah. your day, if you can explain your day? Yes. So I'm going to give a little disclaimer. <laughs> my sleep my sleep so kids if you're listening to this please do not follow my sleep schedule um i'm trying to get out of it it's very bad um because of my adhd but um i actually so i'll start with sleep uh i don't typically fall asleep till like 3 or 4 a.m yikes it's very tough that's something that hinders my like daily life in not such a great way i'm working on it um i've been working on it for years so that's that um so but in terms of like my actual uh daily routine i like to there's there's times i'm going to be honest where i have like an actual routine and i stick to like a very strict routine and then there's days where the routine itself is not having a routine so in terms of having a routine you know, I'll get up, I'll usually have a list. I love lists. There's like a whiteboard behind me with like, categorized, you know, things I love, like, I would say the main thing I do, whether it's for eating for work, for fun things, school, I love to map out in multiple types of lists, what I'm going to do so that I can keep my messy brain organized. And that's one of the things and strategies that I use for success. And I mean, multiple types of lists, like I have a calendar that I have structured color coordinated that works for me I have paper lists then I have a list on my whiteboard like for different things um and basically I usually you know relax I always like to just unwind and then I usually spend most like eight to ten hours working on my computer whether it's for work things or for school um but making sure I would tell anybody don't feel guilty for taking breaks I know a lot of people um, might like to be like, oh, like you're taking so many breaks, like you just started working, you know, especially when you're younger in high school, like parents or teachers might be like, you didn't even study for that long, but it's, we need it. So don't feel guilty for getting up and walking around as much as you need. What's to, your other job? You said you're working, you're working as well as going to Harvard. Yes. Yeah, so um, I am currently um, the director of business development for a startup company and um, on the board of directors for um i adhd coalition which is a nonprofit, and i am also the vice president of the nonprofit leadership and philanthropy club well so what's your startup do what's your what, what's your business so so i just joined that in january um and basically it's called eco alternatives equal alternatives and basically they are trying to bring sustainable um shopping to everyday consumers with like consulting services as well as marketing and kind of bridging that gap between being able to find those wherever you are in the world and for the businesses to be able to sustain themselves. So that's been a really fun learning experience for me to work with them and kind of get that experience. It's been really exciting. So final question before we go, Simran, when, when is yeah. your graduation date or time? Or So my graduation date is January or no, January. It is not January, June, 2024. So I was supposed to be one year, but I, did it part-time so I could really take my time. So I'm graduating next year. 
Well, hopefully we'll talk to you afterwards or before. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. You're an inspiration. I just, I just. Thank you. You're an amazing. Your parents should be so proud of you. Thank you. And Harvard's great, but it's the work ethic. They should, they should give you a special degree for work ethic. Eh? They should have some. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I got to ask you, how did you walk? Yeah. How did you get through the GREs quickly? Because that's a nightmare for oh, a lot of us. Very. I feel very lucky that my grad school at Harvard is so progressive. They didn't need it. Oh, that's I, so I know. Great. I know. So great. Cause those stress me out. Standardized testing way outdated. We don't need it anymore. It's not an indicator of intelligence. I don't know why we still use it, but I was very <laughs> lucky. I, I did not have to do it. So. All right. So we're not going to let you go. Thank you so much for connecting Thank you. And, and everything you're doing. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you take so care. much. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. ADHD isn't just for kids but can certainly look and feel different for adults. The experienced multidisciplinary team at OSR Clinics understands the complexity of ADHD in adults and can help you determine if it is ADHD or something else. The comprehensive assessment process doesn't only look at symptoms, but also looks at your brain in order to understand what's really going on. Visit osrclinics.com to book your free information session today. That's osrclinics.com.